Yo, what's up, guys? I hope everybody's having a great day. My name's Brandon Merrick, here once again with the pr- Prospective People's PhD, JT Silvers. <laughs> Man, that is a mouthful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm doing pretty well, Brandon. I can't complain. How's training going for you, man? Um, been going all right lately. I uh, went and had a tough, tough trip. I can't talk, dude. Um, I, I went and had a tough session this morning. You know, a little, little five by two, uh, clean session at uh, 87% of my best clean. Um, then got some, some pools at about 105% after that. There you go. So, you know, something pretty short, but uh, enough to get me up and I'll be sore on Monday. So, you know, good day. Um, hitting some stuff that's uh, around my max for reps in the snatch too. So, you know, can't nice. complain. But uh, Good stuff, man. Glad to hear you're working hard. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's going well. I'm pretty excited. But then, uh, uh, of course, there's you over there doing 2,000-meter rows like a uh, madman. So, who's really working harder? Uh, I can't tell you because you. you're, you're you. crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. <laughs> nah, the, the road didn't even take that long. That was all I did. Well, still. <laughs> it doesn't take much to beat you up with a rower. Cardio. Gross. Yeah. That's not even in my vocabulary anymore. <laughs> but uh you know jt before we get started with this i just want to throw a big shout out to the old hanover college football team for um going going to the school up north and taking their lunch money and then going home with a big win um pretty pretty cool to hear them ring the bell for the third year in a row so congrats to those guys um you know well done Pretty cool seeing the the wagon just keep rolling along. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure, and especially you know, uh, for for guys that like us that kind of built that built that area that's going on right now. I think my computer just froze. So fantastic! Oh, great! But yeah, man, it's pretty cool that uh, none of the guys who are currently there they remember those days where we're. You know, losing football games. They don't know what that's really like. So that's awesome. Yeah, they they came in with a winning program, so uh, that, that's pretty cool, man. But uh, I get I guess we can get started here. JT, would you uh, maybe want to start us off, or I can either or doesn't matter. Yeah, no problem. So today we're going to talk about some of the different training systems, and I think. Because this is going to get somewhat in-depth, we're just going to break this up into another another little mini-series. Um, so today, because of, because of how history unfolded in the sport of weightlifting, we're going to start off um, with the Russian program and the Russian system and how they train. Uh, and we will also kind of look at how you know what what may have branched off of that and we'll get more in depth on say the bulgarian system in a future episode but um kind of ju- juxtaposing like say some of the other eastern european countries like georgia and uh also uh china follows a similar protocol as the russians do um so just kind of kicking that off and this this episode may run a little a little bit longer um, than some of those future episodes, just with the, the historical background that's necessary. Uh, yeah, dude. Um, if anybody out there is very new to weightlifting or um, some of the background of weightlifting, it kind of in the beginning, the United States was the uh, the the Titan country. You know, everybody was chasing um, the Americans and really that first team, you know, to to take on that role was uh, that that Russian team. So, um, you know, uh, 
And ever since then, um, the Russians have stood atop of the weightlifting world, whether they're banned or not. Um, you know, so we we thought it was fitting to really talk about them first, just because they're more well known, anyways. But what kind of sucks with the Russians, JT, is that all the literature that we have about the Russian system isn't Russian. Right. Which, you know, without having a decent translation from their language to our language, you know, some some of those uh, little idiosyncrasies can get lost in translation, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and I've had kind of the privilege you know, through the UND library to be able to download some stuff from the Soviet Sports Review. And like you're saying... It just doesn't come through as clear um, because what's really interesting and cool about the Russian uh, Russian weightlifting and all of their uh, all their sports programs is that a lot of them are state run, um, which means that they have the money and the want to put a lot of science behind what they're doing in training. So there's a lot of literature available. But the unfortunate thing is, like Brandon said, is that doesn't transfer over very well from Russian to English. So you get these translations where you know, they'll say strength, speed and speed strength. And you're like, I don't really understand the difference. And they don't ever explain it because in Russian, it's very clear. Um, but in English, that sounds exactly identical. Uh, and then the one the one weird thing that stood out to me with a couple articles that I have read from the from Soviet Sports Review is that they repeatedly refer to humans like their their participants as the organism, <laughs> which it's just that's just weird to me. Uh, and the first couple of times I read that, I was like, "Wait, they're they're not doing animal trials here. Those, these are people <laughs> still, right?" Yeah. Uh, that's that's probably just how uh, you know the Russians thought of people. It's like, oh, there's a chunk of meat that's worth some money, so um, <laughs> they don't really care about them as as human beings. But um, you know, JT, I guess I can give a little bit of the backstory. I think I gave one not too long ago in a previous episode. But um, like I said, the U.S. was kind of dominant in weightlifting until about the 1950s when the Russians decided to show up. And really until the ban about five years ago, Russia was the dominant force from the 1950s to present day. Um. And, and along with them, you know, the Chinese kind of showed up around the, the early 90s. Um, kind of after that, Soviet bloc kind of fell off a little bit. But um, I think we'll talk a little bit more about the Chinese today, like you said, JT, and then talk more about that Soviet bloc a little later on. Right. Um, uh, and, and by the Soviet bloc, I kind of mean like the, the Bulgarians or, or the Romanians or, you know, some of those guys that are kind of close to that area, I guess. Um, they're really, they're kind of just descendants of the Russian program. Ever since yeah. the USSR fell apart, these coaches are now their own nation, national coaches um, and took a lot of principles from the Russian program to develop their own. Right. It's like uh, Ivan Abajayev coming to the United States, basically. Right. Uh, if, if you want to think about it in that way, just other coaches going to, you know, Bulgaria and Romania instead. Um, but I, I guess another thing I kind of want to clarify is we are focused on um, basically the teams, JT, right? Um, in, instead of some of the more individual people, right? Because you have, you know, the Georgians with uh, Lasha or Egypt with Mohammed Ihab and Qatar with uh, Mezzo Hassona, you know, just those general freaks of nature that, um, you know, stand atop of the weightlifting world, but aren't necessarily known to be with the best teams, or they may not have the biggest teams where, um, you know, you see them in almost every weight. So just another thing to throw out there, we're going to focus mainly on the teams. Um, but yeah, JT, I'll, I'll let you take it off with some more of the, uh, actual, uh, ideals behind the Russian program. All right, Brandon. So 
I'm looking looking at the Russian program itself, and I kind of plot the three tra- the three bulk main like main primary training systems used in weightlifting as the Russian on one one corner of the triangle, the Bulgarian on another, and then the American as the third. Uh, which with the American kind of being something of a blend of both. Um, but with the Russian uh, training system, they are really focusing on manipulating the force and force velocity and power velocity curves. Um, if you don't know what those are, you can, you can easily pull up a graphic on, on a quick Google images search. It's a lot easier to understand than me trying to explain it to you. Uh, essentially, as you move faster, you can move less weight. And as you move more weight, you can move it slower. It's pretty straightforward. Um, with power, it's a little bit more complex. Um, with the optimal range being the fastest and most powerful con- uh, contraction happening about 60, 30 to 60% of a given one rep max. However, with a weightlifter, it's probably going to be more towards that 60% range. Uh, which is why Russians will focus a lot on auxiliary movements. They don't spend the bulk of their training doing the snatch and the clean and jerk. They do a lot of variation. They do a lot of overloaded pulls or, you know, doing, doing snatch from the hang or from the hip or from a deficit to be able to develop more speed uh, and be more comfortable moving heavier weight faster. Um, the other thing that goes into this, and we'll probably talk a lot about this because it's it's prevalent with the Russians, it's just a fact. Um, they get much more benefit by doing these auxiliary movements than, say, an American would, uh, a clean, non, non, uh, non-doping American, that is, because they are all on steroids. Um, it's pretty much a given fact at this point that if you're a Russian athlete, you're going to be taking some kind of banned substances to increase your performance. So um, they don't have to focus on quote unquote strength building through the traditional conventional movements because literally anything they do in training will make them stronger and get better at the lifts. No, that's exactly right, JT. Um, You know, but um, we talk about some of these things like the drugs that are going to affect people much differently than the Americans. Let's be honest, if an American's going to do some strength building exercises, it might help a little bit. Um, but Americans aren't just going to get stronger from doing the snatch and the clean and jerk. Um, so they have to do a lot of extra whereas the Russians can do a little bit extra, you know. Um, but, you know, like you said, they are they are still worried about building um, a lot of that strength work up, kind of like the Chinese. The Chinese have that focus on building strength, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, uh, JT, I think one thing I did want to mention was um, in the book, both you and I are currently reading and it's only like 200 pages and I'm pretty sure neither one of us are done with it yet Um, it's called the Glenn Pinlay method uh, written by Seb Ostrovich but uh, Pinlay described that Soviet method in basically two points Um, and the first one being positions are undoubtedly the most important thing right and uh, the second one is always doing more reps um, right. Yeah. That, that volume is really what the uh, principle of the Russian program is. I think Glenn kind of describes it as his repetition method where we're doing sets of 10 on, you know, eight to 12 different auxiliary lifts. I think that's the heart of the Russian program is using that kind of repetition to build strength outside of doing the different position work in the conventional lifts. Uh, for sure, dude. Um, you know, JT, this is a, uh, a tough method. I, I think you'll probably talk a little bit more about, uh, percentages here in a minute, but, um, you know, because, because with these athletes are already at the top 
of the game. It takes so long for them to get stronger. And the adaptations that they make take so much longer than a beginning lifter would. Right. right? So their their idea is to work in kind of that 75 to 85 to maybe 90% range, you know, for, for multiple weeks on end, trying to get your, uh, you know, your, your 80% to feel like a 50% kind of lift. So they're really trying to focus on these uh, minimums and make those lifts look like second nature. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about with your, uh, your force velocity curves and things like that. Right. Um, And maybe I'm just repeating yourself because I'm, uh, my mind's a little clouded and I'm not fully here. Um, But the, the, the real principle there. Is that if you're if you're doing like like you did your uh, your clean pulls today and you're going up to 105, 100, even up to 120 percent of your clean one rep max, that weight's not going to move fast. Um, so the principle with the Russian program is they're going to do stuff like that, and that's an auxiliary movement. Uh, they're also going to stay in that kind of 75 to maybe 90 percent one RM range to do variations of the conventional lifts not typically just practicing single repetitions of the conventional lifts um, because the faster you can move a submaximal load, potentially the faster you'd be able to move that maximal load if you're doing both under and overloading because we have to work on both speed and on force, force development. And that's kind of the idea is you're working over and below your highest competition total. Right, right, right. No, I, I think I understand that, you know, kind of like I said, trying to make your 80% feel like your 50%, just making those, that that range, like you said, 75 to 90%, make it feel uh, just, just make it become the normal, right? Um, usually you'll go into the weight room and, you know, something that you should always hit is probably like your 50% back squat or your 50% clean. But these guys are trying to make their 80% feel like something they should always hit no matter what. Right. They may, they, they're they going to hit 99 out of 100. That's the goal. Exactly. And I think kind of the uh, – sorry to cut you off, JT, but the, uh, the, the big concept behind making your lifts feel like that is that you're actually creating a more durable athlete, right? Right. They they wanted these guys to reign on top of the weightlifting world for uh, multiple Olympic cycles. So, um, you know, th- this type of training would allow an athlete, once they have that feeling of their 80% becoming um, extremely routine, you know, it, it doesn't hurt them near as much to push into the uh, low to upper 90 percent and eventually um, breaking their PRs and things like that. Right. Now, one thing else to note that kind of puts these Eastern, Eastern European, Eastern countries aside, set aside from the Americans would be that most of the time, and I know that this is the case with the, with the Chinese athletes. These kids, kids are getting recruited to play a sport, participate in a sport at 10 or 12 years old. And we'll spend half the year focused on a given sport with like, basically that's their PE. You know, they'll do their training and then so that they don't burn out, so that they have good athletic development as children. They're doing other stuff as well the other half of the year, just so that they're not overloaded with a certain exercise, certain training regimen. But then as they get older, you know, they get more and more specific. uh, And that's why we see the technique is so repeatable. And that's why these heavier lifts, these up to 80, 90% of 1RM or competition lifts, they always look the same. Because these kids started training at 10 and have been working on technique for you know, a dozen years plus. So uh, there's there's less, I want to say, a less emphasis on technique because it should be second nature for them at this point. 
Yeah, uh, I agree, JT, um, with what you said there. It's uh, they they do so much at a young age that the technique is basically perfect already. Um, and, and like you said, you'll see the same thing with the Chinese, um, even more so, I would think. But, um, you know, since we're talking a little bit about technique, um, you know, even though it may not be super emphasized once, you know, the athletes are at the top of the game, um, maybe we'll talk a little bit about the differences between, uh, you know, the Russians and the Chinese. And really the Chinese are the only, uh, only group that does weightlifting a little bit different. Um, so, uh, what, what's great is a, a clean is a clean. So you'll still see everything that is the same. Well, you, you got your first pool where you're pushing your knees back second pull where you're scooping your knees and then triple extension. And then obviously the catch. And then, you know, kind of that thing that separates the Chinese from the rest of the world, um, is the feet JT would you would you agree with that yes um so what what it is is the Russians set the precedent for the clean and jerk way back when where they were known as extremely powerful and almost um rugged in the way that they lift because they're very loud um their feet have a very forceful replacement after triple extension so um the way we think about the clean is after triple extension, forcibly uh, pulling your knees and your feet up and then replacing them as quick as quick as you can, which tends to lead to that very loud uh, smack with your Romaleos on or your uh, do wins. Um, you know, that that's what people normally think of when, uh, uh, they tell you to like jump and catch in the clean. Right. So they, they want you to forcefully replace your feet. And the Chinese are almost um, to the point where they do a shuffle. So, I mean, obviously there's those guys that are a little bit different. You take Shi Young, who has a very um, forceful replacement of his feet, but he's just such an ex- explosive lifter that I think that's the only way he can lift. He's, you know, he's a, what is he? He's a 73 JT. Is he a 73 kilo lifter? Um, power cleaning 190. So, um, yeah, I, I go follow him because he's a freak. But you take guys um, generally who are more like Lu Jajun, where he does a shuffle with his feet. Um, and they, they don't move. They barely leave the platform. So they go from his pull stance to a slightly wider squat stance, um, you know, and, and I think it takes a lot more mobility to do this because you don't have any time, right? right. You're, you're at an 81 kilo lifter or whatever weight class you're in pulling, uh, 203, 204, 205, somewhere in that ballpark, ball, ballpark. <laughs> what am I talking about? Uh, ballpark, you know, and, and you're doing that, you just don't have a lot of time. So I I think with his pool and how how heavy, especially Lou, can can push the weight, you know, he just doesn't have that time. So what he's done from a young age um, is just shuffled his feet out instead of forcefully replacing. And I think a lot of the Chinese are like that, and it really helps them out, um, even though it is so much different. And then – after that, we could obviously talk about like uh, things like the squat jerk, right? But uh, that you know, it, that that's something that's probably taught at a very young age, right? Um, so either you're born with that type of mobility or you're not. I I, I don't know, man. I I've tried to squat jerk before. I can't do it. Um, I just don't have that ability to keep my torso upright like that. Yeah, I'll just um, say I think it's anatomical. I, I don't think that there's anything you can do to learn it. I think you're going to have a good coach who's going to be able to say, you know, you're going to be able to benefit from doing a squat jerk instead of a split jerk. Um, because 
think for the most part, I don't know, USAW encourages this if you're working with younger athletes. Just teach a power jerk. Uh, and then you kind of let the athletes decide what feels more comfortable. And for most folks, it's going to be that split jerk. But, um, you know, if you have if you have the mobility and the and you're getting benefit out of doing a squat jerk, that's something that I feel is uh, a little bit more prevalent with the Chinese lifters for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, which is really fitting because, you know, the Chinese are almost uh, poetic in the way that they lift. Um you know, everything just looks so smooth. Whereas, you know, like I said, the Russians and the, and the rest of the world are very rugged um, and very, very violent as opposed to the Chinese. But, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of it, man. Um, it's pretty straightforward. You know, the Russians are very uh, empirical with their data. Um, you know, everything's thing, about numbers. That's the one thing I really kind of, I wish we had more access to the literature because they have so much data where um, with the with the United States, when we were, you know, when we were back succe- succeeding in the, in weightlifting in the Olympics, it wasn't that it was really scientific you know, we were just kind of, you know, we're going to do what has always worked. Um, and then we kind of see the development of some of these really well periodized programs start to come out of the, out of Eastern Europe. And actually now a lot of what is done for United States weightlifters is some kind of deviation or variation of the, uh, Russian program. For sure. Right. Uh, the Russians were really the first ones to break that ground of, um, you know, using that empirical data to, to, to keep guys in that 75 to 90% range. Um, you know, I, I think if they hadn't have done that, then they would have broken off from being, uh, one of the top countries in weightlifting for sure. But, uh, JT, you got anything else on, on the, uh, the Russians? I know we kind of bounced all over the place and, um, but we're just kind of going really off the top of our heads here for, uh, you know, I, I do, I do think it's worth noting that the success of the Russian program is highly dependent upon Russian culture. Um, and we can say this about the Bulgarians as well when we talk about them. But um, you know, if, if you're a young athlete in Russia and you're given the opportunity to train uh, for an Olympic sport, that becomes your life. Um, where in the United States, that's somewhat just adjacent to what you're doing to pursue, you know, career and success and whatever it is. Um, not a lot of Americans get the opportunity to just like get their training paid for full time uh, where we can see that that would be a highly motivational factor. If you are a Russian weightlifter um, to absolutely sell out in every training program or every training day and, and work as hard as you possibly can. And understandably, you know, following along with that, if your coach tells you, look, you're not you're not getting the progress you need to be getting. I need you to stick this needle in you. Uh, you're you're probably going to do that because nothing nothing matters more than standing on that Olympic podium. Um, and I think the culture in the United States against doping is so prevalent and just so substantial that not a lot of athletes can come to grips with them, you know, in order to be competitive, that's what I have to do. Um, because certainly we have the athletes here in the U S who number one, if we started training them early, um, and then also putting them through regimented doping protocols, we would have guys who were competing, if not winning Olympic gold medals, but you know, the big, the big money in sport in the United States is our team sports, you know, football, basketball, baseball. And it's just not that appealing to try 
work for or work to become an Olympic athlete when you can make, you know, a hundred times, a thousand times more money by being a, a professional football or basketball player. Oh, for sure, dude. Um, I think without a doubt, if we had the ability to put, uh, to, to, well, for one, pay our weightlifters, um, you know, a decent, a decent salary or whatever, um, we'd have more of a, uh, want to put people on podiums at the Olympics. Right. Um, but you know, like you were saying, uh, these other countries, uh, Bulgaria, Russia, China, they they also used to have this idea where if, you know, your uh, a, a nation's power can be um, elevated through sports. Right. So if they're able to put a weightlifter in first, second and third or whatever, or every weight class have somebody uh, on podium, it really can show your uh, your country's power, which can provide um, more influence to your younger generation. So I think some of that kind of plays a role into um, uh, a want to put these guys through different uh, regiments of doping and um, early recruitment processes and stuff like that. Yeah, well, and I think it's just that the Olympics aren't emphasized in the United States. Um, outside of weightlifting, I, I don't. I don't care about the Olympics. Uh, it's it's cool. I'll watch them, but I, I mean, I know that the United States is not going to be highly competitive in most of the most of the events. Well, baseball is coming back. So, oh, really? I believe it is. Let me look it up and make sure I'm not wrong. But um... I think that that's a psychological factor in terms of what kind of training we can have our athletes do um, because with, with the Americans as a coach, as somebody who's directing a program, you have to keep your athletes healthy. You have to keep them engaged because you don't have an infinite supply of athletes um, where in China, in, in, in those Eastern Bloc countries, they have these enormous feeder programs where they have 10,000 kids who are genetically determined to be disposed to do better in certain sports. That's how they're separated out at a very young age. They look at their different skill sets. You know, how, how well do you run a mile? How, how high can you vertical jump? And we put you in a box. You know, you're, you're an endurance athlete. You're a, you're a strength or power athlete. And then based on other factors, they, they kind of filter you out towards your, your sport of choice. Where in the U.S., it's really just determined by, well, what do you want to do, little Timmy? You know, you like baseball? Let's get you signed up for some baseball, buddy. Um, and you don't necessarily let science dictate what your kid is going to do and what they care about because it's America. We have the freedom to choose, which is great. But also kind of steps on the toes of having the most elite athletes in the best role genetically for what they're capable of. Um, and obviously we have really successful sports here in the U S um, and I think nobody can argue that we turn out better athletes than most nations do without that feeder program because our athletes have the power to choose. Now, if we were to implement some kind of training program like that, where we could take, athletes from a young age and get them on the trajectories or something like that. I think we could even produce, we can produce certainly more Olympic contenders. Um, but that's just, I don't think it's feasible for our culture. I don't think that's something that we're going to get, be able, you know, be able to sign off on. Uh, yeah, dude, I completely agree. Um, you know, we were actually talking a little bit about the other day, about that the other day, JT, me and you, um, I think if we would have had or found our love for weightlifting, maybe in like junior high, um, I, I think, you know, we probably would have pushed a little bit more, but being where we are in the country and knowing that there's no weightlifting programs besides like, um, you know, some CrossFit, uh, gyms, every, uh, scattered around Indiana, 
yeah. you know, we, we just would have failed um, to become weightlifters. But then, you know, also with me and you, we, we love football. We love baseball. Um, you know, I, I was put through basketball because, you know, my mom was a D1 college basketball player and that's what she loved. So that's, that's what I did. Um, you know, simple stuff like that. Um, I, I think if I would have found my love for weightlifting way back when, I think my parents definitely would have supported me, but I don't know how well I would have done just because of, you know, where we are. Um, well, and yeah, let's, let's not say that our success in life would have been dependent upon being good weightlifters. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm okay with being like probably even just worse than average, but just barely worse than average. Um, but you know, who knows? Um, cause team sports really do. They appeal to especially young boys, uh, get, you know, get the, the community together to watch your team play against the other town's team just brings a kind of air of excitement that I don't feel like we would have in the U S for a weightlifting meet. Um, oh, for sure. Cause I mean, even like you don't, you don't get the viewership at a track meet that you do at a baseball game or no, a football game not. because it's just not that exciting. You don't get to see people physically interacting with one another and no points being scored. It's just somebody wins. Somebody runs the fastest. Somebody throws the thing the furthest. Yeah. Uh, for sure, dude. Um, you know, you, you look back at our game against Franklin a couple of years ago and it feels like a home game, even though we're uh, up there. All right. We got fans from end zone to end zone. Um you wouldn't have that at a track meet. You just would not. That's a Division Three football game. Yeah, and yeah. we packed the st- we packed the stadium with as many people as they would let in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you would you wouldn't have even a full auxiliary gym for a weightlifting competition. No, you you would probably have more competitors than you would fans. Yep, and I think. And, you know, most of those, those fans are weightlifters themselves. So. Yeah. Or, or at least former weightlifters themselves. Yeah, so definitely. Or coaches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It, somebody involved with weightlifting. Um, but I, uh, we kind of got off on a tangent here, JT. And don't get me wrong. I can sit and talk about, you know, stuff like this all day long. But um, <laughs> I think our plan was to talk a little bit about the uh, the Russians and the Chinese. Um, so I, I guess we'll switch our focus a little bit and talk a little bit about the, a little bit about uh, the Chinese program and hopefully not be here until, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon. But <laughs> we probably could anyways. But uh, uh, I can kind of start us off. Okay. Um, you know, the uh, the big thing about the Chinese is, like I said, one, their technique. They have some of the shuffle and then a lot of them squad jerk and things like that. But um, kind of like I think their big main focus is their development and strength. Um, probably after their, you know, young age recruitment. JT, yeah, um, they they have a huge focus in building the strength in the legs and the back, you know, and they want to be able to do a full range of motion um, at all times, right? The Chinese weightlifters are very uh, flexible, and you know they tend to have a better physique than um, any other weightlifter. <laughs> you know, the, you don't see many weightlifters that have the six pack abs or uh, back muscles that are defined as Luzhou right? They kind of look like bodybuilders more than anything. Yeah, I but, agree. Uh, I think, you know, strength is principle to everything that we're going to do in weightlifting. If you're not strong, you're not going to be powerful. That's just how the math works out. Um, but I think there's a lot to that principle. You know, we're going to take these kids 
at 10, 12 years old, we're going to develop their technique. And I've seen lots of videos and I'm sure you have too, uh, of kids doing training with PVC and like big groups, uh, doing reps and reps and reps of the positions of the snatch and the clean and jerk, and then lifting incredible, like, I don't think incredibly lightweight, but you know, training bar with the two and a half pound foam plates, um, focusing on technique. Uh, but outside of that, once they, once they get to that age where they're about to enter puberty, that's when they start their really serious strength training. Uh, so they can kind of double down on the benefits that are had when, you know, you, you get to that, that biological age, um, where you're just able to grow stronger, much faster. Um, and like you said, Brandon, I think implementation of not only their strength, their strength training approach, but then also the repetition method that, that they employ that is similar to the Russians. Um, you do, you, you generate these athletes who, they don't look like your stereotypical weightlifter who's, you know, kind of the greasy, hairy guy who's got a belly, but like <laughs> just straight up ripped. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, you know, uh, I do kind of want to talk about the, uh, the uh, recruitment process here, at JT. Um, you know, like, like we said, they, they grab these kids probably before the age of 10 and they're having them, you know, probably during school or after school. Um, they just have them in the weight room all the time where they're doing the same things over and over and over where that technique becomes, um, second nature, you know, just like you said, JT. And then they get into that point where they are about to start training for their strength and they're probably pumped with drugs right at that point. It's very possible to, to either amplify or extend that kind of period of puberty where you're just raging ball of testosterone. Yeah. Um, and, and I think one of the reasons that they do this is, JT, I'm kind of going to a little bit about uh, doping here. But in those countries, the Asian countries especially, they I bet they're doing this at a young age because the testosterone levels in these um, in these athletes are so low compared to the rest of the world, right? I, I think one of the things that um, definitely uh, drug testing companies tend to look for is your testosterone levels. So I think what I read not too long ago to pass a drug test, your, te- your levels of testosterone to epitestosterone has to be in the range of four to one. So what the Chinese especially can do, they can inject more testosterone because Asian countries tend to have less testosterone in their body than, uh, say, African countries, for example, who tend to have more than uh, Americans and the Russians, things like that. So I think um, they do this so early because of the possible low levels of testosterone, which really helps these kids develop um, very fast, right. right? Because even at a young age, you, you, these uh, weightlifters are trying to push um, world records, right. right? Because they're trained um, in their technique so young that, once they can start building strength, they can do it so fast, right? They want to push the world records as well as continue to be durable so that they can push, you know, the senior world records and things like that. Yeah. Oh, Brandon, I'm kind of frustrated with you because I thought I had a really kind of decent grasp on how to go about anti-doping. But now that I'm thinking about genetic factors and how that, that plays a role, I'm back to square zero. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's, there's no solution man it's the frustrating uh, thing about it and i think hey i don't i don't want to keep dragging this back to culture but still like i think growing up in the training hall for these for these chinese lifters these russian lifters it makes a huge difference because you see the guys who are four years older than you being really successful and just going through the training program and you have kind of the faith in your coaches and in those older athletes 
you see what they're doing, you see how successful they are, you want to follow in their footsteps, right? It was the same thing when we were in high school. Right? You see, you look up to the upperclassmen. That's the way it goes. Um, so it is kind of interesting to me that there's there's also that at play, uh, that the you know, the, the g- genetic factor uh, in testosterone production and, and uh, just concentration in the, in the body is, is different place to place, something I hadn't really considered much. Yeah, and, you know, there's, there's other ways to test for um, doping and stuff, but, you know, China being who they are, they're probably um, some of the most innovative humans in the world where their um their their drugs are so synthetic that the drug tests have not caught up yet um so you know that's just some other stuff to think about but um you know like you were talking about with being in the training hall 24/7 you you got to realize that asian country for asian countries family is another like one of those most important things right right so they're they are seeing this sport as a way to eventually provide food for their family right right because well one if you go in and you fail and you suck you're not going to get paid you're not going to feed your family um you're going to be kicked out of weightlifting and then you know if you're done with weightlifting what else can you do right right because you've been you've been hand selected for weightlifting from you know, eight, nine, ten years old, and you get to your mid twenties, and you got a wife, and you got a kid, and oh crap, I can't weightlift anymore because I suck. Yeah, you better, you better yeah. hope that you're a damn good coach. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. But uh, uh, JT, I guess we can talk a little bit more about their actual system. Um, would you want to go into that some? Uh, yeah. So, like you like you mentioned, I've I've seen a lot of stuff uh, on the internet. You know, with the with the uh, Chinese team doing a lot of let's say auxiliary work, um, focusing a lot on back strength. So, doing uh, hyperextensions, um, and then. Good mornings, all the different types of pulls that they do. Um, and a lot also uh, stuff that was kind of interesting to me. They're um, incredibly high repetitions on like really low resistance. So like one of the, like the mini bands, just doing knee extension and knee curls with those for high, like hundreds of reps, right? Where, right, if you and I, you and I were to do those, we would see some benefit probably to our joint health but because of the, the drugs that these athletes are likely taking. They're also seeing some adaptation outside of just, you know, stronger ligaments and tendons, um, just better endurance overall and potentially even gaining strength, which is kind of absurd when you think about it. Um, yeah. And then kind of going back to your point about them looking like bodybuilders, you see them doing a lot of repetition on things like dips and, and really intense core work, deficit push-ups and that kind of stuff where they're, they're developing strength, not necessarily with a one-to-one correlation to how it will affect them in weightlifting, but just because a stronger athlete is a more resilient and better suited athlete uh, to continue training. And therefore the training is really difficult, but it's centered around kind of the principles of um, the repetition and the positions, just like with the wrestling program. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, Like you said, for them, stability is a big part. And I think some of that bodybuilding work really helps build their stability, especially underneath the barbell. Right. And one thing that I read not too long ago, something that kind of, kind of made me think was that they don't really build their front squat to train their, uh, to train strength. Right. So, so they'll do heavy front squats. Well, one, it is going to help you in the clean, no matter what. 
but they're doing their front squat to train their chest. So uh, kind of the point behind that is the in the clean, the, the chest still needs to be big and wide. You want your elbows out and down instead of like straight up because that's the strongest you're you're the strongest in your front rack when your elbows are out and down but um, obviously they still need to be up and under the bar right but to be able to do this your chest has to be wide and stable against heavy weight right right so that's that's another thing while you see them doing uh front rack holds where they do like this uh the basically that little dip to get the bar whip going it's training them to have stability with that good front rack position and their chest uh pressed up against that barbell even under immense weight um you know i just thought it was kind of funny that their theory behind that was more to train your chest than it is to uh train your positions with your low back and your quads and things like that right yeah, I but, definitely wouldn't put chess as a priority in a front spot. That is pretty interesting. Yeah. But, you know, and, and then another thing that the Chinese really like to focus on is timing. So, so you you take guys uh, like Lu Jun who are basically perfect in everything that they do. <clears throat> you know, his, his 60 kilo clean or 60 kilo snatch is going to look like his – 207, 208, his world record clean, and then you know, his 173 snatch. Right? Yeah. It's all going to look the same. Um, they're going to be extremely fast. Uh, usually their catch is pretty low, so that they have that timing to hit stretch reflex and immediately stand up. Um, you know, that that's some of the stuff they also really like to work on, is that timing. And then, uh, Kind of another thing I just want to throw out. I know I'm switching gears. I'm all over the place. But, um, you know, you take about a week or two before, uh, before like, a competition, right? You'll see more of the Chinese tending to do heavy back squats or uh, heavy pulls. And they won't do the, the natural lifts. Right, they won't do uh, I, the classic lifts is what I meant to say. They won't do snatch. They won't do clean and jerk. They might, uh, you know, kind of go through those motions or do powers or something, but they're not really focused on that. Really, their their idea behind doing uh, heavy squats and uh, pulls is to build strength. Right, their focus is on strength because their technique is so perfect in general that they don't need to work on. Uh, you know, little tweaks or anything. They just need to build more strength. So if you're watching like uh, ATG videos or weightlifting house videos, you won't see them doing snatch and clean and jerk the week of their uh, competition, which I, I just thought was another weird thing to point out. So um, JT, anything else, my guy? No, yeah. I I really kind of under, I understand the thinking there because the question the, the the techniques never question, um, and with a con- like a, a conventional deload period or tapering period, it really doesn't matter what the number on the barbell is. I think we've talked about this plenty. Where like if your if your total tonnage for the previous week was twelve hundred pound or twelve hundred kilos, whatever total reps times sets times weight. And you drop it down to eight eight thousand. Doesn't matter that that came in a set of five by five on the back squat, uh, or or even you know six by two, where you're really trying to push to like ninety seven percent of your one RM. Um, it's still going to potentiate you and get you more prepared for competition because you're lowering the workload. It doesn't really necessarily matter how. That's pretty interesting. That's a cool way to think about it. Because yeah, sure, I, I personally, I really like doing some kind of heavy pull on Friday because Saturdays are always my Bulgarian day where I'd snatch clean and jerk and then front or back squat. Well, um, I feel like it helps me 
stay in better position. So that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Nice to know that that's a, a, at least a valid thing to be doing. <laughs> yeah, for sure, dude. Um, you know, I, I think for me, uh, you know, I agree. I love doing the pools and things like that, but I think if I'm going into the week of the meet, I'm probably, you know, hitting some powers or some light full lifts, um, just to, to stay sharp. But, right. Um, that's that's really just the difference between the Chinese elite. experience and the American experience, right? Where like more elite like, athletes versus amateur athletes, you know. Yeah, true. There are fourteen-year-old Chinese kids who have done more snatch and cleaner jerk attempts than both of us put together. So, yeah, definitely. <laughs> they probably they're probably doing it today as we right. speak. Yeah. Um, you know, take. Take for us, you know, a, a day of clean jerk. If we manage to do twenty plus reps, that's a long, heavy day where these kids are probably doing a hundred plus reps a day. Um, right, training you know, multiple times a day as well. For sure, and it's just that's that's another difference, man. JT, I, I wish I had the time and the effort to put in you know, multiple training sessions a day, even just three times a week. Um, But we, we won't get into that because it just makes me sad Um, because I love weightlifting so much. Just go back in time and be born Russian, Brandon. Screw that. I'm going Chinese. They're they're the best right now. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. What? They literally hold like 50 out of, what 140 world records 150 world records jesus something stupid like that yeah i mean that's that's wild dude yeah um, so there but, must be something to the system <laughs> if you're getting those kind of results yeah for for sure but you know whatever um <laughs> take take your medals and go home you piss me off right <laughs> Cheating bastards. <laughs> Every single one of them. Um, well, Brandon, I think that's all I've got for us today. Yeah. I'm kind of glad we didn't get into like some of the big statistics that we definitely could have talked about with the Russians. Um, you know, t- try to keep it a little friendly and uh, easy flow throughout the show. And I hope everybody really enjoys it. And if you have more questions on any of these programs that we're going to talk about, JT, I think we're going to go to the Bulgarians next week. Yeah, that was the plan. Just kind of in historical order because um, we're going to talk about the American system in more of a current, like modern-day context. Yeah. All right. So Bulgarians, um, United States after that. And then if you want to hear maybe, – maybe after that we can do some of the uh, – individual people or just talk about our favorite weightlifters or something like that. That sounds like a good way to round it out. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. Um, but yeah, if you have any questions, definitely contact me at dunkerfan at AOL.com and uh, JT at silvers.fit at gmail.com. Is that right? JT? Yeah, that's right. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. Um, so JT, anything for the good of the order, man? I hope, I hope training goes well for you this week. I hope everybody else has a great week of training. Um, go hard, slay the dragon, be the best you can. That's right. Yep. Nose to the grindstone, lift heavy things fast, do some reading, do some research, understand the history of the sport that you're participating in. Always, always, always use that kind of tactical and planned approach. Don't just walk into the gym and say, you know, I haven't done this in a while. I better hit some incline bench. You know, have a plan. And whether you come up with that plan on your own or you're just paying somebody for it, you're going to get much more benefit if you go into the gym with a planned approach than just a kind of a laissez-faire attitude where, Anything is fair game as long as it takes an hour. But be strong. <laughs> be strong, be powerful, have fun, 
Don't forget why we do this. Be lifelong athletes. And while you're doing it, if you got a barbell in hand, always hook, grip it, and rip it. Peace.